We live in a culture that's averse to authority. In fact, that word is almost profane now. Uh, we don't like to be told what to do. And yet, as you study the Bible and you read it through, in fact, you can't get out of the first couple of chapters of Genesis to realize that leadership was what we were born for. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Crawford is leading us through a multi-part series called Navigating Life's Challenges. We are looking at the book of 1 Peter. Now the Christians in Peter's day were well aware of challenges. Each day brought increased persecution. Peter's letter to these believers helped them realize that their sufferings would yield someday to the glory of eternity in an indescribable heavenly realm. Peter encouraged them to seek the supernatural power of God in order to reflect godly character amidst the challenges. Last week, Crawford shared the message, Marked by Grace, in which he explained what God's grace means to the follower of Christ, especially in times of persecution. Today, how leaders are often born during times of severe adversity. Hope you can study with us. Crawford has served in Christian leadership for over 50 years. His books include Leadership as an Identity, For a Time We Cannot See, and A Passionate Commitment. Now, if you've missed out on our current message series, you can get caught up on our website where you can listen to or download each message. More on that at the end of our broadcast. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. It's hard to believe that we're wrapping up our series on 1 Peter. Uh, we've been talking about navigating life's challenges. And just to kind of give a little bit of context here, Peter wrote this book because uh, these believers who had been scattered abroad throughout the five provinces of the Roman Empire. And, uh, you know, this is one of the, some books you've got to kind of dig to figure out why they wrote the book. This one is pretty easy. The first couple of verses tell you why Peter wrote this book. Uh, these believers had been scattered abroad. Uh, they had been uprooted. Uh, revival had taken place in Jerusalem, and there, all these believers had come to Christ, and great things were happening, and then persecution hit, and they're scattered. They came on the radar of the Roman Empire, and things began to turn. At this time, when Peter writes this book, Nero is now the emperor, and he's turning up the heat, turning up the screws on persecution with these believers. So you, you can imagine, you've got the situation, they're uprooted, they're in uh, uh, foreign places, and uh, they need to be encouraged, and they need to be put back together. And so the whole thrust of 1 Peter is that Peter's telling them, no, 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 suffering is not always wrong. You're not necessarily suffering because you did something wrong, you may be suffering because you did something right. And he's underscoring how to get through this suffering and what to do. Now we come to the last chunk here in 1 Peter chapter 5. You always have to put things in their context. I, I say this all the time here. But remember that chapter divisions uh, are not necessarily inspired by God, but they're just translated tools to help us with blocks of thought. And I encourage people when they're short epistles like this, if you can, to sit down and read them all the way through in one sitting because you, you can get the flow of what's taking place here. So as he talks about leadership here, he's talking about leadership in the context of adversity and suffering. And by the way, that's when leadership shines the brightest. That's when it shines the brightest. 
Leadership was actually born for challenge and adversity and these kinds of things. So we come to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I've entitled the message, Leaders Who Care. I got to tell you, I am so grateful to God for the leaders in my life. I'm grateful to God for God raising up people, leaders that I had to submit to. And this might sound strange, but looking back, I'm grateful to God that I was in situations in which I had to submit to leaders that I didn't necessarily agree with. I'm grateful for that. That I had to, I had to do things, not sinful or wrong, but where Crawford a few years ago was a little bit more bullheaded and I felt like I knew a better way, but God put me in situations, say, yeah, you may think you do, but you're gonna do it this way. I'm grateful to God for that. I'm grateful to God for raising up leaders who encouraged me, who moved roadblocks out of my way, who made phone calls for me, who put their names on the line to get me to where they felt God wanted me to be. I'm grateful for leaders who got in my face and said, Crawford, you were prideful when you preached and spoke. You, you, you are condescending when you talk to people. Crawford, you can do better. You sort of mailed that in, didn't you? That wasn't the best you can do. And I stand here today to tell you that that is a blessing. Because they cared enough about my soul and they cared enough about what God invested in me to lead me, not just give me happy talk. What a great blessing. And I want to make a few statements about leadership here because I, I feel like I need to say this. We, we, live in a, we live in a culture and a society, and I, I've said this so many times here, uh, you know, where I think our hyper-individualism has gone to seed. We're, so, we're, we're more independent than we need to be, and our independence is hurting us. Uh, we live in a culture that's averse to authority. In fact, that word is almost profane now. Uh, we don't like to be told what to do. Uh, we don't like to be directed. And yet as you study the Bible and you read it through, in fact, you can't get out of the first couple of chapters of Genesis to realize that leadership uh, was what we were born for. Leadership matters. I mean, we're, we, 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 in other words, we were born to be led. Have you ever considered that? The very nature of creation and the program of God God makes man in his own image, and then he leads them, and he says, don't do this, or this will happen. We're born to be led. All of us are. It matters. Um, without leadership, there's chaos. I mean, there's just clutter and chaos in our lives without leadership. It's not a good thing to do what you want to do. Freedom without restriction is not freedom at all. It's a vicious form of self-enslavement. And so without leadership, without direction, there's chaos. Uh, we have the need for order and direction in our lives. Even the most spontaneous of us, even the most fun-loving people-oriented, no banks around us, you won't get anything done in life without some semblance of order, some semblance of direction. You know, we're born to be led. Leadership matters. And the primary function and role of leadership is to give hope and encouragement. 
even when negative messages are given and have to be given. Ultimately, it's for hope. Ultimately, it's for encouragement. So we're born to be led. Some people flounder and get frustrated because they won't respond to or submit to leadership. I think a lot of us have seen this. How many times have you seen a gifted young person? All kinds of ability. But the the mixture of knowing that they're gifted, being a little bit headstrong, and the pride that gets in there, uh, they just don't listen to anybody. They refuse to be led. And then later on in life, you meet them, and it's as if somebody has snapped their Achilles heel. They're just limping along. And they're angry and frustrated, this kind of thing, because they would not submit or listen to leadership. Well, Peter picks up his pen here, and he's particularly concerned about this. And again, let me just drop this in context here. These people are hurting. They are in a pickle. Nero's getting ready to light his garden with Christians. That literally happened. And lies are flying all over the place about these believers. And Peter picks up his pen and he tells these leaders, these spiritual leaders there, throughout these five Roman provinces, hey, don't bail on these people, man. If ever there was a time in which these people needed to be led, it's now. It's now. Don't run. And I didn't intend to say this, but parenthetically, for those of you who are in positions of leadership, whether it's in your job or elsewhere, and there's a crisis, don't walk out the door. That might be the time, more than any other time, that God wants you to step forward and give hope and give encouragement. The brightest hour for the church of Jesus Christ has always been in the darkest set of circumstances where leaders have come forward. So Peter says, now it's your turn. So Peter was concerned that the leadership in the local church be at its best uh, because there were hard times facing them. Verses 1 through 11, um, and let me just say a word about this. Verses 1 through 5, Peter talks about shepherding the flock as a primary function. And then verses 6 through 11, he talks about uh, preparing the flock for adversity and attack. And I would have to say, in all honesty, that I'm using a secondary application in verses 6 through 11 uh, because I actually think what Peter's doing is summarizing everything that he said in the book of 1 Peter. This is his summary statement. In fact, he nails it to three priorities. Having said these things, this is what you need to do. But I also want to connect that in a secondary way to leadership because I think one of the primary functions of leadership is to help people to be able to press into the hard times and the adversity that they experience. So the very first step, the very first task of leadership is to shepherd the flock. Notice what he says here in verse 1. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. You say, Crawford, why all of that set up? Because Peter, Peter is being urgent. It's almost like 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul is about ready to die. And he says to Timothy, I charge you in the face of God. You better listen to this, buddy. This is really important. So here in 1 Peter chapter 5, he's saying, listen, leaders, leaders, I exhort you. 
And I wanna, I'm gonna play the apostolic card. I exhort you and I'm gonna use my authority as an apostle. And so many words, don't run from these people. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, the expression elder here, I need to make a statement. We, we, it really is uh, the word elder, translated elder here, is presbuteros. We get the transliteration Presbyterian from that. Actually, originally, the way the word was used in, in, in ancient Greek or classical Greek, the way the word was originally used, it was used uh, to refer to a man that was older or advanced in years. Uh, that's not necessarily the way it's used. The, the writers of the New Testament use it. Uh, they use it to refer to an office. But what, what is borrowed from that is because of the qualifications of an elder, if you read the qualifications of an elder, they're talking about a person who is full of wisdom and carries himself in a deportment that presses into wisdom and dignity. An elder. It, 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 is a, it is a statement, and I'm going to come back to this in a moment, that if you're a leader in the church, you've got to be a portrait of the desired destination. It's not just about your competencies and abilities. It's about your character, who you are. So he says, look, look, you leaders, you, you are what? My goodness. You, you're called to be what the people need during times of hardness and, and difficulty. So he says, shepherd the flock. Well, how do you do that? That's verses 1 through 4. You, you lead them. You lead them. He says, shepherd the flock of God. And by the way, the expression flock of God, that's on purpose. Well, what does Peter mean by that? It's a flock of God. Well, I think what he's talking about is a reminder that the congregation does not belong to the leaders. There, if you're in spiritual leadership in a church, there's no ownership about your position. The only thing you own in that position is, is, is the obligation and the responsibility to be faithful, but you don't own the people. You don't own the people. This church does not belong to the elders. This church doesn't belong to any spiritual leaders. Uh, you're, you're an elder. It doesn't give you a right to say that this is my church, these are my people. No, they're not. They belong to God. And Peter put it this way to help us to remember that we are stewards of what God owns. We don't control it. We don't control people. Um, we, we don't control their lives. That our responsibility under God is to be faithful stewards. Now, how do we do that? Well, in verse 2, he says we do that by watching over the people. Watching over the people. Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. It is a job, it is a function of spiritual leaders, it is a function of elders in a church to exercise spiritual oversight, meaning, meaning to, to care for the people spiritually and physically, to be the guardians, if you will. No, not the owners, but the guardians, and to take that responsibility seriously. And that the elders, in exercising this oversight, implicit in that, and, and, and I, I just need to say that implicit in that is not sort of like a consensus way of leadership. It's not, it's not people telling us how we should lead, although there's input there, but it's about these elders under God 
giving oversight, not reflecting what the people want to do, but helping all of us to reflect and live by what God's will is. So we give that oversight. It's not negative, it's positive. It also means checking out and finding out what the needs are of people. How are they hurting? What do they have? Do they have what they need? We watch over them. And how do we do it? We do it from a willing heart. He says willingly. Uh, Not on a compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you. Willingly. If we ever start viewing this as a job, if we ever start viewing this as a task, if we ever start viewing this as an obligation, then it's time to step back. Revisit the call, and if that doesn't change, we we just need need to move on. It is an honor to serve, and we do that willingly. And, and, and Peter's saying this, these, these people can't see you looking at them as a job. Man, okay, I've been here, all right, whatever, I need to go. We do it from a desire to give and not to get. That's, that, that's what he says here. We don't, we don't do it under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You, you don't lead because you're trying to get something from the people. This is not a quid pro quo here. And I know specifically he's talking about fleecing them financially and ripping the people off and this kind of thing. But I think there's a broader implication here. I, I, I think what he's saying here, we, we, don't, we don't use people to get to where we want to be. We, we don't, we're, not, we're not serving as elders because that looks really nice on my resume, another little line, a couple of sentences, a paragraph of what I did and this is what I did. We don't, we don't do it for that reason. We, we don't serve because it makes me feel better. We don't serve in a position of leadership because it gives me significance and status. That's the wrong reason. We serve because it's God's call. We serve because God lays his hand on us. We serve because it's a privilege to do it. We serve because he found us. And that should be the heart, and that should be the attitude of service. And and if you don't slay that significance monster, you're always going to be contaminating whatever you're involved in. There's a little bit too much of you and your insecurities getting mixed up in this mess, and little power stuff starts messing with your head. So... Peter reminds him, hey, you cannot be conflicted. You can't have these hidden agendas. You can't have these leveraging perspectives. And you can't be expecting them to give you what only I can. Is your heart right? You do it enthusiastically. He says eagerly. It is a privilege. It's a privilege to serve. That's one part of shepherding, watching over them. But number two, we model before them, and that's what verse 3 is all about. Verse 3 tells us, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Um, Not domineering, literally. Don't, Don't impose. Don't impose your will over people. On or over them. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. See, in the Bible, uh, you, don't, you don't lead from power. In the Bible, you don't even lead from position. Um, I'm not saying that a leader doesn't have power because I think we can go to the other extreme. Yes, we do have some delegated power that God gives with a position. 
But you only use the power sparingly, and you use the power to serve. You never use the power to dominate. You never use the power to whip people in line. You never use the power to get back at folks. You don't do that. See, the whole model of leadership in the Scriptures, the, 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 the appropriate, and I need to change my book on this because, you know, I talk a lot about servant leadership in that little book that I wrote, but actually the metaphor, the greater metaphor in the Bible is that of, of shepherd. And shepherds serve. They serve. And the shepherd, the good shepherd, that whole narrative in John chapter 10, when Jesus contrasts his motivation, the good shepherd always, I mean, he's, he's motivated purely about the needs of the sheep. And he uses his power to drive away predators, but never to beat up the sheep. And so Peter says, you know, you know don't, don't dominate people. Don't power up. Uh, Matthew, what is it, 20, 25, when Jesus is talking about this, this amazing servant leadership, he says, no, you got to serve. You don't lord it over people. You know, you, you don't need to power up. You don't need to intimidate folks. You don't need to meet to have people come into your office, you know, a little power game you play. I tell younger leaders this all the time because I had to learn this the hard way. Look, look, don't be so insecure. If God has his hand on you, if he called you in leadership, chill. What he's called you to do and what he's placed in you will come out when it needs to. So, so do what needs to be done and let what you do be all the advertisement you need. And that's what Peter is saying. Don't touch it. Don't, you don't need to do that. You don't need to dominate. You don't need to run around telling people, I'm an elder. I have this position. Seriously? Just serve. He says, be an example to the flock. He uses an interesting Greek word there. We, we, uh, tupos. We get, we get the English translation type from that. In other words, uh, uh, this is a type or pattern to follow. I say this a lot because I need to remind myself of this. That all leadership in the Bible, biblical leadership in the Bible, is always incarnational and prophetic. What do you mean by that? It's incarnational and prophetic, meaning that if you if you kind of be a leader, a biblical leader, then of necessity you've got to be the portrait of the desired destination. No, 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 no. It's not about powering up. It's not about the big name plate. Not about the prominent parking spot. Not about People calling you by this or calling you by that. It's not, oh, no, 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 no. Who you are, who you are has to eclipse your titles and has to eclipse all of that stuff. Who you are, your character, your godliness, your humility, all of that. You need to be a portrait. Are you deficient in your modeling? Are you an example of where the church needs to be? Dr. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy, Leaders Who Care, the title of today's message. Crawford has been leading us through the series, Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. We've been learning how to function biblically in times of persecution. Next week, we'll conclude this series with the second part of today's message. If you've recently joined our series, you don't have to feel left out. All previous messages can be heard on our website, livingalegacy.org. Look for the past programs link, livingalegacy.org. If you're finding this series helpful, take a few moments to let us know. Your feedback and financial support are very important. 
in that they help assure this station that Living a Legacy is providing beneficial Bible teaching. Look for the contact link at livingalegacy.org. Thanks for being part of our study today. For Crawford Loretz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.